0: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your, your top five at five. We begin with futures under pressure this morning as stocks track for their worst week in more than a month. But that's not stopping some of Wall Street's biggest players from putting their cash back to work. Details on the massive money market reversal taking shape in just a moment. Also, Elon Musk waking up $13 billion poorer after a really wild 24 hours for his empire of companies. From Tesla to SpaceX and even trouble at Twitter this morning, we are going to break it all down. Plus, Credit Suisse bondholders, they are unhappy with Swiss regulators who canceled around $17 billion of debt of the failed bank. Now they are taking action. Then later in the show, the consumer sector in focus as some high flying stocks get set to report. We have the numbers that you need to watch. It is Friday, April the 21st, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and happy Friday. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures this morning. As always, we're looking at the markets in the early part of the day. Kind of a mixed picture right here. The Dow flat, fractionally lower. The s and fractionally higher. The Nasdaq also just a bit higher this morning. So barring a sharp move higher this morning, the down the S&P, they're looking at their worst week since early March. We also want to check the bond market, looking at yields on the bond market. Uh, we, of course, start with the benchmark 10-year note at 3.53. We're still seeing that inverted yield curve with the two-year note at 4.12, just easing very slightly, about 10 basis points from where it was yesterday. We, are of course, are always watching the energy market, oil coming off of another down day, Right now, the U.S. benchmark, WTI, still below 80 bucks a barrel, uh, up very fractionally this morning. Brent crude at about 81 bucks a barrel, pretty much flat this morning. Natural gas taking just a a 1% move to the downside. And also in crypto, we are continuing to see a slide in crypto. We're seeing Bitcoin still below 30,000, now at basically 28,000, down a quarter of a percent this morning. Also, Ether back below 2000. This is after that boost it got from that Shanghai upgrade. You can see here it's down just about a third of a percent this morning. All right. A very busy morning shaping up overseas, including more unrest over French President Emmanuel Macron's sweeping retirement reforms. Our Juliana Tattelbaum is standing by with our, in our London newsroom with much more on the international action. Juliana.
1: Frank, good morning. Well, it certainly is a busy old morning here in the U.K. You wouldn't necessarily know it looking at the headline markets. Not a huge amount of movement. Uh, We have got a mixed picture in terms of trade across the regions. We did get flash PMIs this morning for the Eurozone and the U.K. for the month of April. And these are important for investors because they're pretty forward-looking. And ultimately, the picture painted the services sector in both the Eurozone and the U.K. recovering very strongly. Manufacturing, though, continues to contract and be a problem. That's the main takeaway there. As for the markets, the Cat 40 in France, the Swiss market and the U.K. market all trading higher but red elsewhere. Now, let me get into some key corporates in focus for you this morning. In Japan, shares in Rakuten Bank surge as much as 40 percent in its debut on the Tokyo Stock Exchange today. The Japanese lender downsized its initial $625 million IPO, but it was still the country's biggest listing in over four years. The stock ended the day at 1,930 yen compared with the IPO price of 1,400. 400 yen. Now, back here in Europe, a group of Credit Suisse bondholders have reportedly filed a lawsuit against Swiss regulators over the bank's AT1 bonds. You'll remember those were the bonds that were wiped out as part of this whole restructuring program. The investors allege FINMA acted unconstitutionally when it ordered the lender to cancel that debt, according to the Financial Times. Now, this group, it represents $4.5 billion worth of the total $17 billion that was wiped out, so pretty substantial. Credit Suisse shares are trading lower this morning, down 1.7%. And you mentioned the protests in Paris in response to President Macron's pushing through those pension reforms. Well, protesters in the capital briefly stormed the offices of stock market operator Euronext. The crowd carried banners with slogans urging big companies to pay up to finance pensions. This as anger over pension reform continues to grow in the country. Here's a picture for you of uh, the Euronext stock. Not a huge amount of movement there. And finally, in the tech space, German software giant SAP reported a 10 percent rise in first quarter revenue, beating expectations thanks to a boost in its cloud business. And you've got SAP shares trading marginally higher this morning. Frank, we'll hand it back over to you. All
0: right, Juliana, thank you very much. Happy Friday to you. That's our Juliana Tattlebaum in our London newsroom. All right, time now for checking this morning's top corporate stories. Our Bertha Coombs is here with those. Bertha, good morning.
2: Hey, good morning, Frank. Whole Foods is reportedly planning to cut several hundred corporate jobs as part of a restructuring. The Wall Street Journal reporting the chain, which is owned by Amazon, will notify affected staffers as early as this week. Currently, Whole Foods operates across nine separate regions, which is being compiled into six. U.S. investors pulled nearly $69 billion from U.S. money market funds in the week ending April 19th. This marks the biggest week of outflows since 2020 and a sharp reversal after historic inflows following the recent banking crisis. And Facebook parent Meta platforms is now worth more than Tesla after the automaker stock lost some 55 billion dollars in market value yesterday on the heels of a disappointing earnings report. Shares of Meta are up more than 140 percent from their November 2022 lows. And Frank, you know, it's it's amazing that Elon Musk can offer LeBron James a scholarship for a blue check mark, (laughs) given that he's lost so much money now.
0: Yeah, you know, I I think he confront LeBron James a little bit there, but I think LeBron James could have afforded it if he really wanted it, Bertha. Our Bertha Coombs, we're going to have much more on on Elon Musk. What's that saying? Very, very bad, terrible, no good day that he had yesterday? We're going to have much more on that later on the show, Bertha. (laughs) Thank you very much. All right, turning our attention back to the markets right now, including a call from Goldman Sachs is doubling down on its bullish forecast for U.S. credit, saying companies can weather tighter lending standards in the wake of the banking crisis in March, and a note out yesterday, Goldman says the U.S. relies less on banks for capital than other countries, meaning tighter lending conditions could have a smaller impact. Goldman believes the U.S. can likely avoid a recession over the next year and the Fed will pause hiking rates after the May meeting, which is, of course, supportive of credit. However, Citigroup says it's just premature to roll out the potential for a credit crunch here in the U.S. It's underweight both investment grade and high yield bonds. Let's talk much more about this now with Marianne Bartels, chief investment strategist at Sanctuary Wealth. Marianne, great to see you.
3: Same here. Thank you for having me this morning.
0: All right. So we got that call from Goldman. They see a credit crunch coming because of all the banking turmoil, but adding U.S. companies will be less impacted because of private credit markets here in the U.S. and other sources of capital. Do you agree with that call?
3: You know, I I really think that corporate America does have a fabulous balance sheet. And I do think if we have even just a soft landing, that corporate America can get can get through and weather that storm. Right now, credit spreads have been pretty tight. We haven't seen them really widen out. But you know, the economy is still uh, strong. The 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 Fed um, estimates that GDP. Well, they have a model that estimates GDP for the second quarter, and it's above two percent. So, so far, the economy is moving, you know, along. It's really been manufacturing that's weak and services that have been strong. So we really have been favoring the fixed income market here at Sanctuary.
0: All right. So I know you're also looking at tech right now. Um, You're bullish on tech, specifically chips. So just looking at the SMH ETF, it's down this week like other parts of the market. However, it's far outperforming year to day, up more than 20 percent. What's giving you so much optimism when it comes to chips? Is it fundamentals or is it technicals?
3: It's actually both, Frank. And, and when we take a much bigger macro view of the economy, we feel that we're in the digital era. And the digital era means that technology in all areas of, uh, the economy, um, are going to be impacted. And I learned early in my career when I was a, um, a com- uh, I worked in as a computer, uh, junior analyst that what really leads the cycle are the chips. And we really are revolutionizing our chips. And then that allows you to build um, bigger and stronger software. And then the hardware adapts. So we we like the fundamentals. In addition to that, you also have the government with the CHIPS Act helping to support that. And I've learned when the government gives industry money, that industry normally does really well. Then when we take a look at the technicals, the technicals are also very bullish for the
0: chips. All right, certainly something to watch. I also want to talk to you about bonds. How are you allocating when it comes to bonds? And I know you actually have a contrarian call when it comes to bonds this morning.
3: Yeah, well, on on the 10-year, what we wrote back in December, we have reversed a 40-year downtrend. And that does mean that there's a regime change. But you can come down and actually test that breakout, which means over time we might actually see the 10-year drop down to 2.5%. I don't think that's likely this year, possibly next year. And in terms of our allocation, uh, we're slightly underweight equities, which makes us a little overweight the fixed income market right now.
0: All right. Marianne Bartels with a call in the 10-year saying it's going to go to 2.5% sometime in the next 12 months, I think you're saying. Maybe not this year, but possibly early next year. That's I appreciate correct. the insight as always. Thanks for being here. Thanks. All right. Much more ahead on this hour of Worldwide Exchange, including the word of the day for investors, plus your big money movers, in the telecom stock coming off its worst single-day drop in more than 20 years. Plus, the new EV disruptor set to give Tesla a run for the money, and this one is based out of China. Our Yunus Yun caught up with its CEO. Then later, Twitter officially removing legacy blue checkmarks across the platform with some unusual exceptions. We're going to explain the whole thing. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. Time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories of the morning. We begin with shares of CSX moving higher, a percent and a half right now on earnings and revenue beats for the first quarter due to volume growth in merchandise. And coal also higher fuel surcharges and pricing gains. The company's CEO calling the results an encouraging start to the year and says he sees exciting opportunities to win business and move more freight ahead. You're going to hear much more about the quarter when he joins Squawk on the Street at 10 a.m. Eastern time today. Coinbase shares also higher this morning, but still on track for its worst week since early March. You can see they're up about a percent right now. This is due to heightened regulatory scrutiny. It's been a pretty rough week for Bitcoin as a number of factors, including uh, it's also been a rough week for Bitcoin as a number of factors that contribute to Coinbase's decline. So the stock taking some of its crypto peers down with it, including Marathon Digital and Riot platforms, though Coinbase is still up more than 70 percent this year. And your morning's mystery chart. Shares of AT&T suffering their worst drop in more than two decades and second-largest single-day drop on record just yesterday after some disappointing earnings results. AT&T and its rivals, T-Mobile and Verizon, are among the worst performers in the communications services sector so far this year. Though, T-Mobile remains in positive territory and sits just 5% from its most recent high. All right, while Tesla is cutting its prices around the world... Pressuring profit margins along the way, it's about to face even stiffer competition from a new EV maker, this time from China. Our Eunice Yun has much more on this story. Eunice, over to you.
4: Thanks so much, Frank. Well, the Chinese company debuted a mass market model at the Shanghai Auto Show that's meant to compete directly with the Model Y. The Chinese EV maker's name? Zeeker. This car factory is owned by a Tesla rival you probably haven't heard of, though the Chinese EV maker is already preparing for a U.S. IPO. Zeker is part of an established private car group called Geely, which owns Lotus and Volvo. The luxury EV brand is only two years old, but it's already catching up with other New York-listed Chinese firms in terms of car sales. And now it wants to undercut Tesla with its latest SUV. So it's, uh, Tesla and the others have their advantages, so do we, he says. Boss Andy An says Zeker, which combines the word geek with Generation Z, targets younger consumers. Designs of all Zeeker cars are done solely in Germany, and the brand shares production facilities in the supply chain of the wider Geely Group, helping to keep its Zeker X priced under 28K, well below the Model Y. Geely has nearly 30 years of experience making cars, on says. Zeeker benefits from our strong foundation. The Zeeker X is set to go on sale in China in June and Europe later this year. The U.S. market isn't yet on the cards, though Zeeker has partnered with Alphabet's Waymo to develop a ride-hailing EV for the state. Zeker's goal is to double last year's sales to 140,000 this year and then to expand that to 650,000 annually by 2025. And, Frank, they already hit the 100,000 mark yesterday.
0: So, Eunice, obviously competition is heating up in the EV space. What else do we know about the U.S. IPO?
4: Well, we know that the company has already filed the paperwork for an IPO in New York. Um, This was done in December and the expectation is that the company is going to list this year, possibly as early as the second quarter. The speculation is that despite the U.S.-China tensions that the company is exploring and considering possibly entering the U.S. market at some point uh, with the liquidity and funding that it would get from the U.S., uh, it would have dollars um, so that, from the IPO. And then, uh, of course, the U.S. market is just so attractive to a lot of these Chinese companies, especially with competition here so fierce.
0: Hey, our Eunice Yoon live in a Zeker showroom. Interesting uh, addition to this EV race. Appreciate it, Eunice All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, from a sinking stock to an exploding rocket, it has been a rough 24 hours for Elon Musk. We dig into the investor implications when WEX returns. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera. She's in New York with the very latest. Good morning and happy Friday, Frances. Happy
5: Friday to you, Frank. Uh, we start this morning with a major announcement from the president that could finally happen next week. Three sources familiar with the plans tell NBC News President Biden is preparing to officially launch his reelection campaign. The source said the announcement could come as soon as Tuesday and would be in the form of a video message. Tuesday is the anniversary of his 2020 campaign announcement. Meanwhile, the Republican field of 2024 contenders just grew by one. Conservative talk radio host Larry Elder has thrown his hat in the ring. Elder says he is running because, quote, America is in decline, but this decline is not inevitable. Turning to the south, in Oklahoma, many residents are picking up the pieces after a deadly tornado claimed three lives and leveled homes. The National Weather Service preliminarily confirming an EF3 tornado touched down in Cole, Oklahoma. The powerful winds overturned trucks, left businesses in mounds of rubble, and thousands of residents without power. Alec Baldwin will no longer be prosecuted in the death of cinematographer Helena Hutchins. Baldwin's attorneys confirmed the involuntary manslaughter charges against the actor were dropped. The news came on the day filming resumed on the Rust set in Montana, a thousand miles away from the original location this eclipse may have only been visible in the south pacific this week but nasa is giving us a closer look at the hybrid solar eclipse it happens when the moon's shadow crosses over the earth's surface blocking out the sun creating a shift from a total eclipse to a ring eclipse according to space.com the event last happened in 2013 and will pop up again in 2031 and that'll be your chance because it will not reappear frank until the year 21 64. If you can even, you know, count how many years that is, and do the math, uh, we will not be around for that one.
0: I, Francis, I hope we both will be. Actually, it's not that long away. Uh, I'll, I'll be looking forward to the one in 2031, though. There you go. A little bit more <laughs> realistic, I think, for all of us. Francis Rivera, thank you very much. Enjoy your weekend. You too. All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, we have your morning call sheet and a check of some of this morning's biggest calls by firms you know and names that you likely own, including just a little bit of love for beating down AT and T. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. WEX, we'll be right back after this. It is right around 5.30 a.m. in New York, and we are just getting started here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Stocks are looking for just a little bit of life. With the Dow on the verge of snapping its four-week win streak, futures are pretty much flat right now. The consumer in focus today with Procter & Gamble results on deck and restaurants gearing up for their reports next week. We dive into the health of the consumer and the impact of easing inflation. And Mark Zuckerberg facing meta-employees over the tech giant's ongoing wave of job cuts. His comments on whether the headcount reduction may be nearing an end. It is Friday, April 21st. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. hope your Friday morning's getting off to a great start. Let's pick up the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures. Right now, pretty much flat across the board. We've seen a little bit of movement. But overall, a very muted start to the day for the S&P, the Dow, and the NASDAQ. So with one trading day left, the Dow and the S&P are looking at their worst week since early March. The Dow could potentially snap its four-week win streak. You're seeing the action here a bit choppy. Um, All three of these indices, again, down for the week. The Dow down just about a quarter of a percent. OK, turning to the bond market, where we haven't seen a lot of movement when it comes to the benchmark 10-year note. Right now, this morning, at 3.53, been kind of range-bound all week. We have seen a very slight decline in the two-year note right now at 4.13 when we're talking about the yield on the two-year. We also want to hit the energy market, of course, oil. We're looking at the U.S. benchmark for oil, WTI crude, back below 80 bucks a barrel. Right now, pretty much flat this morning. Brent crude, that's the international benchmark, at 81 bucks a barrel this morning. All right. Time now for a check on some of your morning's top stories. Our Bertha Coombs is back with those. Bertha, what do you got?
2: Hey, good morning, Frank. T-Mobile's proposed deal to buy fellow wireless carrier Mint Mobile, reportedly facing scrutiny from the federal government. According to The New York Post, the Justice Department's antitrust division is weighing a challenge to the one point $35 35 billion dollar deal. Post says that the DOJ is worried that the merger is part of a consolidation trend that will push prices higher for customers. A federal bankruptcy judge has halted roughly 40,000 lawsuits accusing Johnson & Johnson's baby powder and other talc products of causing cancer. That hold will last through mid-June. The decision is part of J&J's latest attempt to settle the lawsuits in bankruptcy proceedings through its subsidiary LTL Management which was spun off to carry liabilities in Chapter 11 protection. And Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg reportedly saying that the social media company plans to slow hiring, and he's not ruling out more layoffs. According to The Wall Street Journal, Zuckerberg made that declaration yesterday during a virtual Q&A session with workers. The journal says that Zuckerberg told employees that about 4,000 workers, mostly in the company's tech divisions, were impacted by Meta's latest job cuts. And, Frank, since November, the company has said it would lay off 21,000 employees, roughly a quarter of its workforce.
0: Back over to you. Yeah, the so-called year of efficiency. We have to see how that works out. Uh, Bertha Coombs, thank you very much. Enjoy your weekend. All right, turning our attention now to earnings. We are set to get a check on the health of the consumer with Procter & Gamble results. Those figures kicking off a very busy lineup of earnings from consumer staple names that include Coca-Cola, Mondelez International and Colgate-Palmolive. It's been a relatively muted year for this sector, with the consumer staples ETF up only 2% this year. Some of its top holdings, including Procter & Gamble, they remain pretty much flat for the year. But with worries that a slowing economy and stubbornly high inflation may finally start eating to spending, does this sector, does it have some headwinds ahead? Let's dive deeper into some of these names with Jason English, Goldman Sachs Managing Director. Jason, we know you got the answers. Thank you for being here.
6: Hey, good morning, Frank. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. So obviously right now we're looking ahead to Procter & Gamble. That reports later this morning ahead of a number of these consumer staples names reporting over the next few days. We're talking Coke, Pepsi, Colgate, Palmolive. The list goes on. Is there a metric that you're watching when it comes to this sector? Is it free cash flow? Is it margin? Is there something that will give us a sense of what direction the sector is going in?
6: Sure. There's, There's two key metrics we're focused on, Frank. We're focused on organic sales growth and in particular the composition of organic sales growth. How is volume holding up? How is price holding up? And then secondly, we're looking at gross margins. Um, let me delve a little bit deeper on that. First on the ladder, gross margins have been under pressure for the industry for a while. p specifically, seven consecutive quarters of declines is in the tank. There's been a lot of inflation out there. These companies have been aggressively trying to catch up, grind out productivity, catch up on price. You've seen it in some of the headline um, CPI numbers out there. They've clearly been pushing through price. This should be a quarter where we get an inflection point where the price growth we've been putting in place is up, and it sticks. Meanwhile, we get moderation of the rate of inflation. So our price net of cost, which has been a deficit for seven consecutive quarters, should flip positive this quarter. That's clearly a positive tailwind. Now, if that can happen with organic sales growth holding strong as they have been, then we clearly get earnings acceleration. So this should be a sweet spot for the sector that we're entering where earnings accelerate. On that organic sales growth figure, Historically, the 10-year CAGR for p and has been around three. The last three years, they've been growing close to six. And a lot of that is because of the excess prices in the system. They've also been performing well in market market share. So clearly, if we can hold that six with the margin expansion, it's, it's a pretty good place for the industry to be. And we should and could find ourselves in a positive revision cycle. Uh, and that, that, that's, that's a, a broad raised brush that I think I can paint across the entire industry.
0: All right, so you're paying a lot of tailwinds there, Jason. Um, I know you st- say there's one more tailwind when it comes to consumer staples. You put out some research a month ago. You have estimates that Goldman Sachs has uh, worked up that consumer disposable income, it's going to increase 8% this year. It's your estimate, a 20-year high. What could that potentially mean for these names?
6: It kind of ties back to one of the questions you asked about how, whether or not the consumer can weather these price increases, which is another area of focus we're going to have today. So back to unpacking organic sales growth. We know that price should be rich one key question is how much degradation do we have on volume we get too much degradation on volume that very rosy scenario i gave you put on online um, that brings us to the research you just mentioned everything we see from the consumer suggests they should be able to continue to digest this inflation so as you noted our our work gets us to a forecast of discretionary personal income nominal before we contemplate inflation growing 8.1 percent this year that's, that's, that's a multi-decade high, very robust income that stems from the tight labor conditions, high wage inflation. Now last year, that picture looked very different because yes, we had high wage growth, but we were cycling stimulus. On top of that, the consumer had to pay a lot more to feed their family, fuel their car, heat their home. Essential expenditure inflation was, was substantial. This year it's moderated meaningfully. We're lapping the run up on gas prices resulting in meaningful moderation on energy price inflation. And even food at home inflation is beginning to show signs of moderation. So I get better top line income into the consumer and I don't see get the same magnitude of degradation spending power coming from essential expenditures. That leaves me with a substantially better position on how much is left in the consumer's wallet to go out there and buy discretionary goods or absorb some of this inflation. So all of that leaves us uh, relatively constructive on consumer spending outlook this year. And I would say arguably more constructive than most of the headlines I read.
0: All right. So, how are macro factors impacting these names in this sector as well? I'm talking about the falling dollar and also the what seems to be gradual reopening of China.
6: Well, a couple of things. First, from a stock price rotation, the macro factors are generally have proven to be a headwind because some of the concerns and consternation around rolling into recession this year have abated, and a flight away from safety has weighed on the group. Um, That's vacillated as regional bank failures come into the focus, et cetera. But from a fundamental perspective. um, the the dollar the dollar has weakened. Most of these companies, particularly large ones like a and G and Estee Lauder, they've got big multinational footprints. So when the dollar is strengthening, that international income is effectively shrinking when they when they translate it back into U S dollars. So we, we like where the dollar is going right now, relative to where we last last quarter. We're going to mark our models to market. FX is a less a less pronounced headwind, so we're going to be revising things higher. You asked about China and the reopening. Um, it's a little early we're going to get a lot of data points in the next couple of weeks from these companies talking about what they're seeing on the ground what we're seeing so far suggests the mosaic is is flashing more green than red we're seeing on the ground mobility statistics improving uh, we heard from lbmh uh, with the perfume and cosmetics division overall luxury division last week they had uh, good things to say particularly as the quarter progressed same thing from l'oreal who just reported over in europe they talked about a bit of a, a slow start in the quarter for China, but the exit rate at strong double-digit type growth. So it looks like we're really turning a corner in China and getting good momentum. And that matters a lot for some of these companies. Um, P&G, China's their second largest market, roughly 8% of sales. They're the largest consumer packaged goods company um, in China. Another company of mine, Estee Lauder, derives almost 40% of its revenue from the Chinese consumer. So trying alone. It's very important for some of these
0: companies. All right, Jason English. I know you could keep going, but we got to leave it there. Jason English of Goldman Sachs. Great to see you. Thank you very much. Right. All right. Sticking with consumer stocks, it's not just the staples in the spotlight. We're also keeping an eye on the week ahead and what's set to be a very big one when it comes to restaurant earnings. Our Kate Rogers has those details.
7: Frank, good morning. Restaurant earnings season will be in full swing starting next week with key names like McDonald's reporting. Consumer spending in the face of continued inflation will be in focus, as well as pricing power and any trade down from higher cost chains to lower priced ones. Bank of America out this week with a note on consumer perceptions of higher prices, noting customers say they're feeling hikes at bars and restaurants the most only after hikes at the grocery store. On Tuesday, McDonald's and Chipotle will be out with results for the quarter. McDonald's stock continues to fly higher and higher into earnings as both investors and analysts seem confident in its ability to continue to perform into a downturn. Oppenheimer recently calling it, quote, battle-tested for its performance in previous recessions thanks to its lower price point and benefit from trade down. Chipotle is a name that has had pricing power over the last year. We will have to have an eye out to see if that continues. Last quarter was weaker than expected for the burrito chain, but not due to pricing. Chipotle is up 5 percent this month and 30 percent this year. Domino's will report on Thursday, another name that has done well in prior downturns, but the pizza chain is struggling with a different issue, a driver shortage that has been plaguing it for about a year. That stock is 24 percent away from its recent high and down 6 percent on the year. It also sliced guidance last quarter due to economic headwinds. Much more to come this quarter from the restaurants. Frank, back over to you.
0: All right, that was our Kate Rogers out in San Francisco. And for more insights On daily trends like these within the markets, let's just head over to CNBC.com, and you can sign up for our pro newsletter offerings. Okay, we've been talking about it this morning. It has been a pretty rough 24 hours for Elon Musk and his empire of companies, kicking things off with Tesla. Uh, Those shares losing nearly 10% of their value yesterday. Its market cap opening below that of Meta platforms for the first time in more than a year. Musk himself losing more than $10 billion worth of wealth in the process. Then there's the quote, I'm using air quotes. You can't see him, though. Successful failure of a SpaceX Starship rocket, self-destructing about three minutes into its inaugural test flight. And then Twitter finally removing legacy blue check marks from non-paying user accounts. Among those now going, quote, unquote, unverified. We're talking Beyonce, Pope Francis, Oprah Winfrey and former President Donald Trump. However, Musk says there are a few exceptions, like William Shatner. He also let LeBron James keep a blue check. He said he'll actually pay for it himself. So on last night's Fast Money, risk reversal's Dan Nathan, he went full Avengers. He made the case that Elon Musk may be facing an endgame when it comes to his empire.
6: I think there's something else going on here with Tesla. Um, We know that he had been selling Tesla shares all year last year to fund his purchase of Twitter. We know that SpaceX has been for sale. He's been looking to raise capital that way. You know, if this stock were to continue to go lower, if they are pushing out a manned trip to the moon. And that's what the whole idea of this rocket launch was today. Um, Twitter, they just marked down from 44 billion to 20 billion dollars. He's got 13 billion dollars. This is not a generally very liquid person. He used to be able to get whatever lines that he wanted to. But now he's got all these banks on the hook for this debt that he can't service based on Twitter's businesses. So to me, he might be entering the end game here a little bit for being the CEO of all of these companies and being that levered.
0: Dan Nathan, tell tell us how you really feel. That was Dan Nathan on last night's Fast Money with Melissa Lee. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the read on regional banks and whether fears around deposit outflows were on the mark or just overblown, our Dom Chu is here to break down those numbers. But first, as we had to break, some of your top trending stories. Big Mac lovers are in for a treat, but you got to act fast. Starting next week, customers who order through the McDonald's app can get the Big Mac sauce in a dip cup from participating locations as the fast food giant looks to promote its core items. The move coming on the 58th anniversary of the McDonald's IPO and after the company announced changes to its signature burgers earlier this week, including adding more Big Mac sauce. I love this. All right, Disney Plus is adding five Spider-Man movies to its platform with the Tobey Maguire trilogy hitting the streaming site today. Those are kind of ass. The movies have been previously available on different streaming services due to Sony Pictures' ownership of the franchise. And Post Malone passing Bruno Mars for the most Diamond singles by a music artist on record. Diamond status, which is a song, as given to a song after moving 10 million certified units here in the United States through streaming consumption, is no stranger to Post Malone, who already had five songs. Five of them received the title prior to these most recent wins. Post Malone got a lot of hits out there. WEX, Worldwide Exchange. We're back in a moment. All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We turn now to a developing story around the turmoil in the banking sector. The Wall Street Journal reporting that the Fed may close a loophole that allows some mid-sized banks to effectively cover their losses on securities. They hold a contributing factor in the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. The journal says that potential move might include ending an exemption that allows some banks to boost the amount of capital they report for regulatory purposes. We'll continue to watch this story throughout the day here on CNBC. All right. Time now for your morning call sheet. This is where we check on a few of this morning's biggest upgrades and biggest downgrades by firms, you know, and stocks that you likely own. We begin with HSBC upgrading AT&T's rating to a buy. Shares of the telecom giant suffering their worst drop in more than two decades and second largest single day drop on record just yesterday on the back of its earnings. A lot of people found disappointing. HSBC saying that market reaction offers an opportunity for investors to get in on this stock. All right, second up, Citi upgrading XBO's rating and price target from neutral to buy and from 37 bucks to 50 bucks a share. It cites the recent addition of two executives from Old Dominion, that's a rival of XBO's, now on XBO's board, and they say that greatly enhances the company's operational credibility. And then third, Cantor Fitzgerald initiating coverage on CBS Health with an overweight rating and a price target of $87. It says investors are underestimating the string of small wins the company has pieced together recently. Something we'll watch. All right. We're also keeping an eye on regional banks this morning. The bulk of them have reported their results this week and fears over massive outflows in the wake of last month's banking turmoil. Apparently not as bad as feared. Our Dom Chu has been digging through the numbers and he joins us now with more on just how these banks are stacking up. Good morning, Dom. So- this is the interesting part about the regional bank picture
8: right now. There was an expectation that we could see a lot more deposit flight, so to speak, out of these smaller regional banks in the wake of Silicon Valley banks collapse and going towards larger money center banks like JPMorgan Chase Bank of America and others. What you're seeing right there is a selection of some of the larger and mid small size regional banks that may have been impacted by some of that deposit flight. These banks have already reported. Interestingly enough, some of the bigger regional banks in America, like PNC Financial and KeyBank, KeyCorp, have actually shown deposit gains between the end of last year and the end of the first quarter. Some of the other regional banks, like Truist in the southwest United States, showed about a 2% drop in deposits. U.S. Bank Corp. around 3.7%. Comerica and Western Alliance are... Two banks based Comerica in Dallas, Texas, and then Western Alliance out in Arizona that have seen as being more impacted. Now, the interesting part about Comerica and Western Alliance is that some of those deposit levels were largely expected. So generally speaking, the regional bank picture deposit wise hasn't shaped up nearly as bad as some people had thought. And by the way, for Western Alliance, we did learn that in the first two weeks of this current quarter, they actually gained deposits. Now, I also want to put up here the big bank deposit levels because it's not like everybody was immune to people taking money out, which does imply there might be a seasonal effect with people taking their money out of banks in the first quarter. J.P. Morgan Chase is the only big bank in America that saw deposit gains quarter over quarter on an ending basis. Bank of America, Wells Fargo and Citi all saw modest and marginal declines in their deposit base. So when it comes down to the deposit issues these days, it doesn't look as though things got as bad as we thought they were going to. We'll keep in mind the big reports that come up next week, Monday for First Republic Bank and then Tuesday for PacWest. Back over to you.
0: So, Don, let me, let's me kind of go into the big banks first. I thought we were going to see a big inflow of deposits to those big banks. It just doesn't seem like it turned out that way. So
8: there were flows there, but again, it speaks to the regional and big bank dynamic. There are always demands for cash from customers in the retail side of things and the corporate side of things in the first quarter. Think about tax payments that are due. Think about things that people need cash for in that first quarter. So oftentimes there's just a seasonal factor that goes into some of those levels. So with the big banks, yes, they may have seen some of those deposits in like the last part of the quarter, right, right after you know Silicon Valley Bank's collapse in the beginning of March. But overall, it didn't really outweigh some of those general moves that happened during the first quarter of any given year. And by the way, the, the ones that we really care about are First Republic and Pac West, right? Because right. they seem to be at the epicenter. We get Regions Financial later on today. The, 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 the idea behind Regions Financial right now is it's a big southwest bank, and it could give you an idea of whether or not there is that kind of move. But given what we've already seen from some of the large regionals, especially around the country, right. we're, we're not expecting a huge deposit issue at Regions Financial as well.
0: You know, let's show that wall with the regional banks one more time, including Western Alliance. So. Uh, Western Alliance, obviously, one of the more deeply impacted by deposit outflows. Was there any connection to Silicon Valley Bank or Signature Bank? I mean, why did that bank see such an outsized impact where the others you just didn't see it?
8: So with Western Alliance specifically, they have a division called Bridge Bank. Bridge Bank was set up by Western Alliance to be a competitor, if you will, to Silicon Valley Bank, serving that same kind of client base. Venture capital backed companies, private equity backed companies, that sort of thing. So when you saw the issues at Silicon Valley Bank emerge, it stands to reason that those same types of customers would also feel the same skittishness about their deposits at a company like or a bank like Bridge Bank and Bridge Bank being part of Western Alliance got caught up in that. Now, what we did know about that whole situation with Bridge Bank is that they did see some of that same kind of activity. But generally speaking, Western Alliance got a huge pop after earnings because what they did tell us was that in just the first two weeks, in essence, of this month and this new quarter, they got $2 billion of new deposit inflows. So what it implies is that maybe some of those customers are not feeling nearly as is scared about Western Alliance anymore. All
0: right. I know this is not your first rodeo when it comes to the banks. First Republic next week. That's the first one to watch. Republic
8: on Monday and then PacWest on
0: Tuesday. Dom, a lot of action, man. I I can't wait for it to be over. <laughs> <laughs> Our Dom Chu, thanks for waking up early. Thanks for being here. And thanks for that breakdown of the sure. banks. All right. Coming up ahead, the word that every investor needs to know today, plus Pivotal Advisors Tiffany McGee with the stocks that are high on her shopping list, including one luxury name seeing plenty of shine lately. Robot Exchange will be right back. Stay with me. All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for the WEX wrap up. Six stories you need to know before the opening bell. U.S. investors pulling nearly 69 billion dollars from U.S. money market funds in the week ending April 19th. That marks the biggest week of outflows since 2020 and a sharp reversal after historic inflows following that recent banking crisis. A group of Credit Suisse bondholders that saw their investments wiped out are reportedly filing a lawsuit against Switzerland's banking regulator. According to the Financial Times, the complaint says watchdogs acted unconstitutionally when they ordered the failed bank to cancel all of its $17 billion in AT1 debt. We're also watching shares of Tesla after it lost nearly 10% of its value yesterday. This morning, the company is raising prices in the U.S. on its most high-end vehicles, the Model S and the Model X, though the sticker prices are still well below where they were at the start of this year. Sticking with Elon Musk, Twitter has finally begun removing those legacy blue check marks from non-paying user accounts. Among those going, quote unquote, unverified, we're talking Beyonce, Pope Francis, Oprah Winfrey and former President Donald Trump. A federal judge is denying Alphabet's request to delay its antitrust trial with Epic Games and Match Group. The trial is set to begin in November. And Clorox says it's laying off about 200 employees or 4% of its non-production workforce as part of an ongoing restructuring. This is the second round of layoffs for the company, which cut just about 100 jobs last year. All right, we're gearing up for the trading day ahead. we got April U.S. Manufacturing and Services, Flash PMI, both out at 945 a.m. Eastern Time. And then on the earnings front, look for results from Procter & Gamble, Freepoint-McMoran, and Regions Financial. Plus, a full week of Fed speeches. That wraps up today with Fed Governor Lisa Cook this afternoon after the closing bell. We also get the weekly H8 release from the Fed at 4 p- 4.15 p.m. Eastern time. This tracks the estimated balance sheet assets and liabilities for all commercial banks here in the U.S. All right, with all of that, let's dive into the trading day ahead as we look to close out what's been a pretty busy week. We have Tiffany McGee, CEO and CIO at Pivotal Advisors and a CNBC contributor. Tiffany, good morning. Thank you for being here.
9: Good morning, Frank.
0: All right, so good to Tiffany. see you.
9: And you can add me to that list of, of uh, people who got their blue check marks taken away. When a vacation, came back, and I was like, ah.
0: <laughs> Tiffany, we know it's you. I think you're going to be all right. So, Tiffany, as you know, every day we ask Wall Street's brightest minds to share the word that they believe will describe the trading day ahead. Tiffany McGee of Pivotal Advisors, what is your WEX word of the day?
9: My WEX word of the day is capricious. All right, you gotta give I us one. guess why. you're gonna ask me why, right? That's yeah.
0: <laughs> That's a little SAT <laughs> so word. You gotta explain so that one for. L- it.
9: <laughs> it is an SAT. It is an SAT word. So listen, c- coming off, um, you know, March's uh, inflation reading earlier this month, earnings season has just kicked. Has recently kicked off, and now the time where you know investors kind of can kind of like react to, to every little bit of news, right? Um, in, in, in anticipation for. Uh, what anticipation for, um, of, uh, um, inflation continuing to kind of, you know, uh, moderate a little bit. And so we're seeing this, we actually saw this in the market yesterday, right? You just mentioned Tesla. So Tesla, you know, in addition to Tesla taking a dive shares of other electric, electrical vehicles took a dive too. So we're seeing this in restaurants, but in the opposite direction. So again, you know, the, the market is being, uh, I think like the actual definition is led by whim or fancy, right? So the market is being led by every little bit of news uh, and reacting as such.
0: All right. So uh, speaking of that, I know you're looking at growth stocks. So we're talking about women fancy. The market is not really fancying, fancying growth stocks. Looking at them, uh, all the big ones, looking at the VUG, the SPYG, uh, growth focus ETFs, both in the red. Why are you so bullish on growth right now?
9: So I'm bullish on growth right now. See, like, remember, my clients are institutional investors. So we're not really managing a portfolio for this week or this month. We're managing portfolios for 10, 15, 20 years out, right? And so, um, you know, we, of course, pay attention to to economic conditions. And so, like, the the two biggest events, you know, I believe that are going to really affect the market long term is, number one, when the Fed stops cutting rates. And number two, when the Fed, excuse me, number one, when the Fed stops hiking Rates And number two, when the Fed starts cutting rates. Right. And so prior to that, um, you know, we're, we're kind of looking at, you know, what can we do to position portfolios? How will the market react um, when that happens? Uh, and how, what can we do to position the portfolios kind of going forward ahead of that? Right. Mm-hmm. And so. One, one interesting thing to, to, to also man, mention is, like, over the last 40 years, between the Fed's final uh, rate cut and uh, the, the, the Fed's um, first um, – sorry, I, I keep switching those. Between okay. the, the Fed's final rate hike. You're a little capricious this morning, hike. Tiffany.
0: You're a little capricious. Yeah, I'm a little but capricious. We, we it's very get to your early picks, for me, Frank. I want, I, it's <laughs> early for all of us. I want to I do one thing. I actually misspoke. Those growth ETFs are outperforming. But we got a few seconds left. Let's go down your picks. We want to get your picks really quick
9: sure so you know we're anticipating like a lot of wall street is that we may have a technical recession a little bit later on um this year or next year and so growth stocks tend to do actually better than value stocks in a recessionary period surprisingly so microsoft apple and then also i like luxury uh lvmh is my pick
0: tiffany we got to leave it there tiffany mcgee thank you very much got it in (laughs) that does it for us here on worldwide exchange squawk box coming up next You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide
5: Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC.